Welcome to the Once Upon a Leader in Africa podcast with George Nudu. We invite you to listen to influencers and opinion shapers narrating their experiences from their leadership roles in Africa, from the world of business, community development, government, corporate, social enterprise, among others. We will glean from their good, bad and ugly side of their leadership journey and be inspired to overcome adversity, to pursue success against all odds, to be a great leader and many other lessons. Welcome to the podcast and here's George Nudu. Hi Gibson, how are you? I'm doing awesome. Great, thank you. Thank you so much that uh, you've agreed to be on this podcast and I've been very excited to, uh, to have my senior pastor, you know, come on the podcast and, and just share his story. So thank you so much. It's a great honor and joy for me. Thank you. Karibu sana. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it also. It's a great honor. And just beginning, who is Gibson Aduvate? I think I like to say that Gibson Aduvate is a dad, he's a husband, you know, he's a, he's a leader, pastor. I'm passionate about leadership. That is something that... Uh, you know, wherever I am, my heartbeat is always how can we raise the next generation of, of, uh, of leaders. I think uh, that's something that from a very early age, I've been very passionate about. So in whatever space I've been, I've always been thinking who's coming behind me and what can I do to equip them for what God has ahead of them. And you're an author. Maybe yeah. just tell us a little bit about your book. I'm an author. I, I, I wrote a book called Leading Young. It uh-huh. uh, really was, uh, you know, a, a toolkit for young leaders. I wrote the book about eight years ago. I've done a yeah. second book called Leading in the Valley. Oh, actually wow. just about to be released in the next couple of weeks. So that's a, a, a space in my life that I'm hoping to do more in. Wow, congratulations. I'm hearing about that book. I'll definitely get myself a copy. Wow. I'm excited so, about it, Leading in the Valley. Leading in the Valley. And, mm-hmm. and about the next generation, you talk a lot about that. So what inspires you to talk about the next generation? I think for me, it's a burden that I had from, uh, you know, a while back. And maybe it's out of my own journey as a leader. Because mm-hmm. when I think back over my life, in almost every space I've been in, somehow I've ended up in a leadership role. And when I think back, if it wasn't for people that God brought around me that were so intentional in helping me grow, I probably wouldn't be the person that I am today. So just looking back, the life that uh, God has led me on, the journey that I've been on, and the people that got positioned along me, you know, along the way to be there for me. I think it, it really challenged me to do the same for others. So that's something that, uh, you know, from back in the day, I just become, began to be very intentional about those who are coming behind me. And also maybe it's, from, it's, it's just from the burden of realizing that from when I was very young, I, I had a burden of leadership placed on my shoulders. It wasn't always an easy burden to carry. And uh, if it wasn't that I met people along the way, then it probably would have been overwhelming for me. So take us back. Where did it all begin? You know, I'm those kind of people who, when I was in primary school, I was uh, a leader of one sort or another, either a prefect or a leader of a club or something. I used to do debate, you know, so that's something I, I love to do. Went to high school, the same thing happened. I was a prefect in school. I was a captain for one of our, our, our dorms. I went to college. Most people actually don't know that when I went to college, I was a student leader. You know, uh, during uh, my college years, which wasn't a very popular thing, you know, 
when you are college, when you are a student leader in the in the university the perception wasn't always so positive then came out of that and uh, felt a call into full time ministry we pioneered a ministry called the journey at the university of nairobi that uh, you know that's how i connected into icc and eventually came on staff at icc uh, i did college ministry for a number of years then became youth pastor and then uh, stepped into a campus pastor role and five years ago actually it's going to be five years in a couple of weeks we we, we stepped into the role of being senior pastor at icc senior pastor of icc that that's your current role just tell us what does that role entail for you as senior pastor of international christian center nairobi there is the shepherding component where it's you know taking care of god's people in terms of teaching them god's word shepherding them just you know providing care and support there's the aspect of discipleship so working with them in their in their work with the lord so there's a spiritual component that is you know most of the work is actually the spiritual component but then there's also the organizational aspect because it's an organization like any other so we have uh, staff you know we have uh, budgets to manage we have uh, policies we need to follow hr policies finance policies we have facilities that need to be maintained and then in the last uh, two and a half years we have planted about 12 churches so there's then the scope of just how do we support those congregations to be able to thrive and uh, for the pastors are got a call to lead them to be equipped with the right skills to provide that leadership wow quite a, a load of responsibility i would say it's uh, it's quite a load <laughs> again i think also because we are part of the kenya assemblies of god we also have a, an aspect of it which is just supporting the wider church uh-huh. supporting the work in nairobi supporting the work across the across the country and oh. then that comes with the other things also <laughs> yes 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 I thank you for even just giving us a good view of the scope of your work this leadership journey of yours what have been some highs for you I think one of the highs is the fact that you, you don't find a lot of leaders who are my age you know uh, having a seat at the table so when I think back I find that God allowed me at a very young age you know to have a seat at the table and to have a voice you know in the different seasons of life that I've been in and one I attribute it to just you know mentors and fathers and uh, you know and even spiritual mothers that God has placed along the way that somehow he allowed me almost to be ahead of my my generation in terms of the space that he has that he has called me so at a very early age I've had opportunity to touch and impact people's lives and that is something that I I treasure you know I, I think I've had the blessing of just being able to walk through doors that not many of my peers you know have had the same the same opportunity so that's something that i i celebrate i think the other thing that is has been a high for me is pioneering new work there's nothing as beautiful as pioneering new work and being able to see that work grow and and go above and beyond what you could ever have you know thought or or, or imagined you know so when i think about the journey we starting off at the university of nairobi and now running into five public universities when i was at in college we pioneered a, a, a program called i choose life and uh, you know we started this program with mike mutungi the navigators and brent hanson and within a year it moved from just a small program and we were you know in all the public universities we were running a budget of about 50 million you know so i think for me i had the blessing of just being able to start uh, or be part of the initial startup you know level of an organization and then seeing it grow and thrive far beyond what you could ever have thought 
or, or imagine. I think the other thing is just the, the opportunity that God gives for us to be able to touch people's lives. You know, even through this COVID season, just being able to touch families, being able to impact, you know, different generations. So for me, those are things that I, I look back and I really, I celebrate, you know, they, in, in moments when uh, I'm, I'm looking for the why, that they, they remind me of the why. Yes, it's true. The why that keeps us going, the fuel that keeps us going. You touched on something which I'd maybe like for you to unpack for us, pioneering and startups, you know. And, you know, in the business world, they say a big percentage, over half of the startups uh, within the first three years don't survive. You know, so with the experience of startups, you know, in that ministry, in the, in the universities, now with setting up uh, these new church plants, what kind of leadership does one need at that stage of starting up something? I think for me, I would begin by saying it starts with vision. I believe that every leader, their most important asset is vision. And vision is just, it's a preferred, uh, you know, a picture of a preferred future. You're looking at the future and you have this picture of tomorrow being better to, than today. And, and so that vision of your organization, of the team that you lead, the people that you have around you, the dream that you have of that which you want to see come, uh, come to be. And, and I believe that when you have vision, then it gives you the strength that you need in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges. Because the challenge with startups is that you're pushing and there's so much opposition that's coming against you. That's why they see such a high percentage of startups will not make it, you know, beyond the first year, beyond, beyond, the second, beyond the second year. Because it seems like everything is working against you. So clarity of vision. I would say before you start, you need to have clarity of vision. Which direction do you want to go? And the second thing I would say is you need to then marshal teams around you. So are there people around you that resonate with this vision? And how do you bring them together and get them to align and to buy into this vision? I believe that more than a leader having a vision, it's so important to be able to get others to buy in. I think it's John Maxwell who says that one is too small a number to achieve greatness. So how do we enable others to come alongside us and not just to see this vision as our vision, but they become stakeholders. They partake this vision. They own this vision. And I think once you're able to get others to own the vision, then you have to translate the vision into practical steps. So how do I move from where I am right now where I want to be. And when I talk about practical steps, it's just dividing it into small steps, you know, where every single day you're, you're taking a step, you're, you're building. And sometimes you underestimate the place of networking. So yes, you have a big dream, you, you're getting people around you, but are there people who have already gone ahead of you that you need to be intentional about reaching out and connecting with them? Because for me, what I believe is that you don't have to learn from your own mistakes. You can learn from others, from the experience of others. And so who is it that you're getting into contact with, that you're connecting with, that you can learn from, so that you don't have to go through all the same, you know, challenges that everybody around you, around you, you know, goes through. Then there has to be the aspect of just the discipline. Because sometimes as leaders, we have big dreams, you know, we have a plan, we have a strategy, but then the discipline of following through, even when we are not seeing the return. So how do I follow through, you know, when I'm not seeing the, the, the return on the investment, but I'm still committed, I'm still showing up, and you know, I'm putting in the work over time. Great nuggets there. To, to a certain level, uh, Gibson, you've been involved in things beyond Kenya, even I think at a continental level. And at times I, I know 
you go out there and uh, engaged in things outside the country and in other continents. So coming back to Africa, and you know, this is really looking at ourselves as a continent and about leadership. What would you say we need for us to, you know, actualize what God has in store for us as Africans? Because I think, you know, we keep saying our continent has got minerals, our continent has got a vibrant young generation. You know, we are, we have got a great productive generation. But I think, in my view, there's a gap in leadership to help harness, you know, that which God really wants us to harness as a continent, as a people. What would you say? The challenge that we have in Africa, we have the resources. Hmm. We have all the resources that we need. But what we lack is long-term vision that is beyond self. I think the challenge that we have with a, with a lot of our, our leadership you know, models is that it's, it's so much centered around self. So when you think about political leadership, at the end of the day, everything we do has to, how does it benefit, benefit self? But I always say that people get the leaders they deserve. So when you think about it, our leaders are a representation of who we are. So in many instances, we want leadership that will bring about change and transformation. But I believe that transformation has to start with us. It has to start with, with me in my home and the kind of young children I'm raising, you know, the kind of children I'm raising, the next generation. It has to start with me, you know, being accountable, being transparent, being a person of integrity in the small things and in the big things that we do. Because I find that so many times we are quick to point fingers at those that uh, are in leadership over us. Yet we ourselves, we are, our actions actually are, are in the opposite in the opposite direction, you know. So we castigate these leaders, but we ourselves, it's just that we don't have the same opportunity. You see, power and, and resources do not change an individual. They only magnify who that person is. So there are people that I know who, before they got into power, they were, you know, amazing people. But then they get into power and there are all these scandals and all these things that are coming up. And for me, I always say power and resource do not change us. They only reveal what was already there. So if we want to see transformation taking place on the continent, it has to start with every single person owning the space where they are, being the change that they actually want to see. Because if we ourselves are willing to rise up to the standard, then we can hold those that are in responsibility over us accountable. You know, Kenya is about to go into an election year. We are going to have some wonderful people that will be vying for positions. But how come we'll not elect them into parties? Because at the core, we are so tribal, you know, and we fall back into that place of comfort where we'd rather vote for someone because they're our tribe rather than voting for somebody who actually has the skills. You know, somebody was saying the other day, if you're going to board a plane, you don't really care what tribe that pilot is. The only thing you want to know is, can they be able to fly that plane have they gone through the certification? Do they have the skills? If you're going to leave your kids with someone, you want to make sure that it's somebody that you can trust. But how come when it comes to people that are, you know, in, in positions of responsibility, we lower the bar, you know, to such an extent that they're not able to, to, to deliver? So I believe that change has to begin with each one of us. There has to be an aspect of transparency, a pursuit of integrity. And if we are transparent and you're pursuing integrity, if we are servant leaders, then the transformation will come. The transformation will come across the continent. Wow, so true. It's, it always puzzles me what happens every five years. You know, 
in this country, we get into this state and it's unbelievable what happens and we forget and we lower the bias, as, as you said. You, you know, earlier you mentioned, and from, from what you've been saying about mentors, you, you talk a lot about mentors, you appreciate your mentors uh, having had you and been with you, work with you. The question is, how do we identify the right mentors for ourselves? And how do we engage mentors? Because they are important, but I think there's always this thing, how, how do I get a mentor? What should I do in a mentoring uh, engagement? Maybe you can speak to that. You know, I had a saying one time, I don't know where, what part of the world it's from. And it said, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. When the student is ready, the teacher will come. And it, it almost just you know, talks about the place of when you're pursuing something, if you're intentional about it, then at some point it's going to happen. Sometimes we can look at it from the place of we are looking for mentors. But I believe that what happens actually is that mentors choose us. You see, because uh, as for you, you know, you, you have limited amount of time. You want to invest your time where there's going to be highest return. So if you're going to mentor someone, you want to be sure that it's somebody who is going to take advantage of the time you're sharing with them and put the lessons into, into practice. So I believe that finding mentors begins with having a posture where we are teachable, where we are hungry to learn and to grow, but also where we are doing our very best where we are. When you think about an organization that, uh, that you're in, I'm sure there, you know, there are always opportunities to grow. But it's, it's more about how are you doing where, we are, where you are right now. Because then when somebody else looks at what you're doing, somebody that's at a higher level, they can say, you know what, I'm willing to spend my, to spend my time with this person. And it's not spending my time. For me, I look at it like it's an investment of time. I'm investing my time in this young person. So if you're looking for a mentor, begin asking yourself, are there places where you can give of yourself, where you can go the extra mile, where you can serve, that allow you to come into contact with the kind of people that you'd want to mentor you? Where can you serve? Where can you give? Where can you go you know, beyond just your normal daily routine and give of yourself in a space where you can intentionally connect with these people? And then as you're, as you're reaching out, ask yourself, how can I serve this person? I don't just want them to give me their time, but how can I add value to them? You know, For me, for some of my mentors, it began with maybe they were, they were doing something and I knew, I knew they needed some help. And just offering myself up and saying, can I come and give you a hand? You know? Or sometimes you can be in an office and your boss has a project. You know, they're so passionate about this project, but they don't have the time. What if you offer yourself and say, you know what, I have some little bit of time on my hands. Can I come and, you know, do this, do this for you? And what you'll find is that people that are in positions of authority, they always have more, than they, more, more to do than they have time. So if you are available, it allows you to then make the initial connection. And people are then able to say, I'm willing to invest my time in this, in this person. But also there's the place of just reaching out, reaching out and saying to someone, you know, I admire how you live your life, I admire what you're doing. Is it possible for me to come under your wings and, and learn and grow? Most people, if you walk up to them and just say, I would like to come and learn from you, you know, very people will actually turn you off because you get to a place where you want to give back. You know, like for you, George, you're in a space where looking back on your journey, you're in a space where you're saying, how can I give back? So if a young person comes and says, can you mentor me? You know, can you be a mentor in my life? You want to give back to them. But the question is, are they going to steward the time and are they making the most of the opportunity? Because you also don't want to work with someone who you're always talking about the same thing. 
You want somebody who, when you spend time with them, you've given them an hour of your day, you've had lunch with them. When you meet next time, they are, you're excited about what they are, what's going on. You know, you want to pour some more because there's so much already that they're doing with what they're learning from you. But if it's someone who just comes, you know, and they show up and uh, they, you don't see transformation, then after some time you start asking yourself, is this the best investment of my, of my, of my time? So as somebody that's seeking out mentors, I always say you show up, you know, you're having lunch or you're grabbing some coffee, but you show up with, with a notebook. You want to take some notes. And then you have to think through what I always do with my mentors. Before I meet with them, I spend some time, I think through what information do I want to gain from this person today? What do I want to take away from our time together? So it's not just hit and run, but I show up and I have questions. And I'm like, these are some five things that I want to learn from you today. And what I find is that sometimes somebody will say, I only have an hour. But two hours later, we are still there, you know, because they, they, they just are enjoying pouring out and, 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 and you know, being able to share. So men, when you think about relationship with mentors, there has to be an intentional, you know, effort and, and, and just a heart that is teachable and willing to learn, but also a heart that is willing to put what you're learning into practice. You know, Gibson, I, I, I love talking to you because I even listening to you are preaching because there's, there seem to be such passion and, and, and inspiration as you talk. And it's really exciting. So what keeps you passionate and, and, and motivated about leadership and the things that you do? I think my passion is everything rises and falls on leadership. John Maxwell says everything rises and falls on leadership. You go into an organization, if things are working out in that organization, there's a good leader somewhere that's doing a good job. You go into a family, you look at that family, look, things are looking good, there's somebody in that family. There's a mom, there's a dad that's providing, providing leadership. When you think about every area of our lives, it's affected by leadership. When there is good leadership, the standard is, is lifted. When there's bad leadership, the consequences. You think about nations, you know? You think about just nations and the effect of leadership on nations. There are nations that have not known peace for years, but it's an issue of leadership. You think about nations that are prospering, where people are living quality lives. It's an issue of, of leadership. So for me, I really believe that when you invest in leaders and when you equip, you equip young leaders, that you overall will have a better society. So for me, when I, look, when I see a young person somewhere that you know, has potential, is showing potential to grow. My heart starts beating, you know, what can I do to equip this young leader? You know, what books can I put in, my, in, in their hands? So in my office, I'm always handing out books, you know, and sharing links and, you know, resources that young leaders can use to equip themselves. And specifically, you know, when you think about young leaders, for many of us that are a bit older, we get set in our ways. You know, we run uh, programs for leaders at different levels. And it's not easy. Many of them have a, I know it, you know, um, um, you know, this is where I am. It's almost like, what, what new thing are you going to tell me? But I find that when you spend time with young leaders, you are able to shape them, you know, and the impact is long term. So I find that time invested with young leaders is such a good investment of, of, that, of that time. And really commending you, I've watched you do that over and over again, you know, meeting people, young guys in Java, uh, talking to them. That's something that I have watched you do over the years. So uh, it's good and definitely just commending you for that. And, and this is talking about the exciting things about, about leadership. Is leadership all that exciting? Is it just excitement? 
or the leadership. other things. Yes. You know, many times when people say, I want to become a leader, uh-huh. they're talking about the, the benefits, they're talking about the perks. They're saying, you know, I want, I want to have this benefit, I want to have this access. But for me, I consider leadership as a burden. The leadership is a burden. You know, when you're leading an organization, you carry the burden for that organization. And when I stepped into the role of senior pastor, I used to, before that, maybe for two, three years, I'd be doing, say, 80% of the role because I was a campus pastor. But the day I stepped into the position of senior pastor, I realized that the 20% I wasn't doing was the heaviest part of the job. So when you're looking into a leader's life, and especially if they're a good leader, it looks as if it's very easy. What they're doing is so easy. They're just enjoying, you know, it's like a walk in the park. But when you sit in the role, what leaders often don't say is that the weight of the position, just the weight of the position, the sense of responsibility can be so overwhelming. So as a leader, you have to, you have to figure out how do you navigate through the tension of the weight of the responsibility? How do you carry the burden, but don't allow the burden to actually wear you, wear you off? Because just the sense of responsibility you know, that you carry, you have people that you are leading, you have a, an organization, there are expectations that you're supposed to meet. And at the end of the day, most of the times you find yourself deep in the night, you're awake. You know, your, your staff, they, they probably had a good night's sleep, but you, you, you're thinking, are we going to be able to make it, especially through this COVID season? Like this COVID season has been tough on, uh, on leaders. So it's not always a walk in the park. You know, it's not always a, your leader might make it look like it's very easy, but the burden, you know, can be overwhelming depending on the, on the levels, you know, of, of leadership. So the responsibility, the responsibility can actually be a weight that really weighs down on you as a leader. Talk about the burden, the tensions. Maybe just lift up the veil a little bit. Make us peep into that, that burden and that tension that, that leaders go through. And even more, more so even for you personally, what are some of the things that you, you've seen in your role? You have a great vision that you want to see come to fruition. You get excited about the vision. But I normally say you soon realize how much work it's going to take for that vision to come to pass. So then you start thinking about, do I have the right people around me? Do I need to get some people around me that are maybe not there? So building the team. Then there is the resource, just the burden of resource, because every vision requires resources. So how do you raise the resources? You know, you will find in an organization you have a budget to meet. How do you meet that budget? There are commitments that the organization has to, has to meet. How are those commitments met? Then there are challenges in every space. There are always challenges, you know, in every industry, in every area. There are always challenges that the organization will face. There are threats that are already existing. There are threats that are, you know, even future threats. Nobody could have thought that COVID was going to come, you know, and shake everything, uh, everything around. So most people don't actually realize that when you go into the organization, it can look like everything is just working out. But we don't realize that there's somebody who actually is thinking through every step of the way and what needs to happen. And at the end of the day, you know, the backstops at the, at the leader's desk, I normally say, you know, somebody can go out there and make a statement. And because they made a statement in the name of the organization, these days it's even just post a social media, you know, somebody just posted a comment on social media using your organizational handle. And all of a sudden, it's crisis, crisis mode, you see. So I think that's a bit of where the burden comes from. For me, I think through this COVID season, I remember when the churches were, you know, we couldn't meet physically. 
and everything was online. And I remember the first couple of weeks, just, you know, deep in the night, I'd be awake, just thinking what's going to happen to our staff, what's going to happen to missionaries we support, what's going to happen to engagements we are part of, what's going to happen to, you know, mission outreaches that we support. And I would be, I would be in bed, but deep in the night, I'd be thinking, how are we going to make it through this season? And nobody, in fact, my team is just maybe a couple of months ago that I actually shared with them what actually happened those first couple of weeks. Because I remember one night, just God speaking to me and saying, you know, encourage my people and be a blessing to my people. And for me, that was my turning point because it turned from what we needed to it being about how can we serve and how can we give of ourselves. And so we started up the care basket where we started asking, you know, who, who, who needs help with rent? Who needs help with school fees? Who needs help with medical, you know, fees, support? Who needs help of any kind? And then we began to put together resources to be able to give and to support families. And the moment we turned the focus outward, it's like God just opened the doors and provided, you know, all that we, that we, that we needed to carry us through, through the season. So when we look at the leader, we can see, you know, this picture of everything is calm and everything is working out okay. But on the backside, the backstory is that there's a lot of time just thinking, praying, waiting, listening, you know, walking a path of trying to discern what is it that God has, you know, in the season that's, uh, that's ahead. And I say, when you're a leader, you have the, the work side, what comes with the role, then there's your private life. So you have a family, you maybe are married, you know, there's just you as a person. How, how do you ensure that you're growing at a personal level? How are you ensuring you're keeping healthy? And just issues that you have to deal with at a personal, at a personal level. So when we interact with leaders, we forget that they also just have a life just like us. They come from a family just like us, a family that also has, you know, its own tensions and things that have to be navigated, navigated through. So when I think about the burden of leadership, it, it encompasses all these different aspects. I like what you've talked about, you know, the, the private side, the personal side. For you, how has been the effect of your leadership on your personal and, and other areas of your life? What can you say? I think for me, one of the things that God has blessed me with was the fact that I met my wife when I was a college student. We were college students at the University of Nairobi. So we met way back when none of this had come, you know. We, we met, I knew I wanted to go into full-time ministry, and my wife, you know, she supported me even that time as we were dating. We got married, you know, and we started off, you know, struggling really, just, you know, trying to make ends meet and, uh, and, and find our way through. So we've come a long way. And so when we relate, we don't relate from the basis of what we have. I think God has gifted us. My wife, I normally say my wife is one of my best friends. You know, I enjoy being around my wife. One of my best things at the end of the day is to come home. You know, when I go home, that's something that I, I love to do. God has blessed us with wonderful kids. You know, I love spending time with, with, with my kids. So I have found that out of a place of just the journey that we are in, I have to be so intentional. I have to be so intentional in making sure that I'm spending time with my wife. I'm spending time with my kids, you know, that they don't always just see me, you know, out the door, but they actually know that they have time with me. I drop my kids every day, you know, and it's something that I do just to spend time with them in the morning to make sure that we have contact time together. If there's anything that we need to talk about, they know that we have time, just me and them, and we'll talk about anything. There's nothing that is off limits. 
I make sure that I'm home for dinner, you know, every, every single day. So we have dinner at a specific time. And one of my goals as I'm going about my day is I'm going to be home for dinner, to have dinner with the kids and just to spend time with them, do devotions with them, you know, uh, pray with them. We get to travel quite a bit with my wife. So when I'm traveling, we try to synchronize our schedule so that we, when we're traveling, we're traveling together. When the kids are off school, we take the kids along. So we've tried to bring them along on our ministry journey as much as we can. So on the family side, that's something that for me is, is a highlight. I love being around my wife and kids. It's one of my most favorite things to do. Wow, I could just tell you that is amazing and so so good to hear, you know, because I think many leaders sacrifice that part of their lives. They get caught up in just the leadership and the organization. And they're great leaders, but you find that in their personal and private lives, um, they have sacrificed all that. So it's good to hear that you, you, you have a plan and it, it sounds so great. So keep it up, my friend, keep it up. Thank so you. even just coming to, to a conclusion and one of the things I like asking my guests is for you, when you think of legacy, and I know you, you think a lot, you, you, you think about the generation to come and I know you think about legacy and forward. For you, when you, what's the legacy you would like to leave? I think for me, legacy, I think about young leaders across this continent, that there's going to be a generation of young leaders across this continent that, uh, you know, have gone through my hands. And so every young person that comes my way, whether they're part of our staff team, whether they're going through an internship program, whether they're just somebody who reached out online or somebody that I connected with, I'm always asking myself, how can I leave them better off than I found them? And what practical skills can I put in their hands to prepare them for whatever it is that God has ahead of them? So for me, when I think about legacy, I think about multiplication. I think about reproducing myself, reproducing leaders who are even better than me and sending them all across the continent. I believe so much in the continent of Africa. I know that you know, for a long time, this continent was referred to as the dark continent. But I really believe that a time is coming when Africa will be the continent that the world will look to for leadership. And one of the best things that we can do is to raise up young leaders, position them, equip them, and send them off you know, to go out there and to bring about a change and make a difference where, where they are. So for me, I think about legacy, I think about young leaders, I think about my kids, you know, that uh, I want my ceiling to be their foundation. So every single day, I'm always thinking, how do I make sure that my kids are able to build better, you know, and go further than, than, than I possibly ever will in my own life? So I think about multiplication. I think about my children. I think about this nation, you know, the different programs we, learn, we run. One of our hope is that who knows one day there's going to be men and women that are in authority in this nation that uh, will make a difference for the nation. And part of the reason why is because somehow we sowed seeds in their lives along the way. But also beyond that, just looking at it from a spiritual perspective, I think for me it's the eternal impact in people's lives. That at the end of the day, to be able to have the gift of just making a difference in people's lives for eternity, you know, that there are people who will grow up and say, because of this man, because we met this man, because we connected with him, because we got to hear from him, our lives, you know, have never been the same again. And he's made a difference in our lives for eternity. So those are some of the thoughts that, uh, that go through my mind. Wow. And, and valid thoughts and great thoughts. Thank you for sharing. Any final words to say before we say goodbye? I think I would speak to leaders who are out there who are coming out of COVID that are 
you know, battling with discouragement that uh, wanting to give up, you know, where you, you just feel like you've given everything, but, you know, nothing seems to make sense anymore. And maybe you're on the verge of giving up. But just to say to you, if you will hold on and, uh, and stay faithful, the, the tide is going to turn. You know, just uh, hold on, you know, cry out to God. God is with you. He's for you. He has gone ahead of you. Don't give in to despair. Don't give in to discouragement. Uh, in, in this season, you, you, you earn points just by staying on, staying on and holding on and, uh, and staying faithful. And in time to come, when you look back, you know, you're going to look back and just see God's goodness and see his, uh, his faithfulness. You know, don't give in to worry. Don't give in to anxiety. But just uh, believe, just keep believing day after day, keep getting up, keep believing, keep holding on. Take a step at a time. The step might look as if it's just a small step, but, you know, you build just a step at a time. It's the consistency over time that makes all the, all the difference. So know that you matter. Know that you matter in the lives of the people that you lead. They might not always tell you so, but you do, and you're making a difference where you are. Thank you. Well said. Thank you so much, Gibson, for sharing your journey your wisdom, and your nuggets with us. And I wish you all the best as you continue uh, leading and as I continue growing uh, as a husband, as a father, and as a leader uh, in our society. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And I just want to honor you. Thank you so much for being part of my journey. You know, you, you've invested in my life you know, over the years. And I just want to honor you and to say thank you. Thank you for joining us in today's podcast. We hope you're leaving with insights that will help you live and lead better. We appreciate our sponsors, BNG Consultants Limited and BNG Center for Leadership Coaching for keeping us on air. Bye for now. See you in our next episode.